That's Alicia. <laughs> and that's Lauren. Why yeah. are you making us do it like that? Because I wanted to change things up. It was silly. Well, it, it's happened now. It's happened. Things are changed you up. You can't possibly ever re-record the beginning of a podcast. It can't be done. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> the podcast where we talk about deviant women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. That is indeed what we do. Although most of what we've done so far, Alicia, if anyone is new to the podcast... The majority of the episodes so far have focused on historical women. And biographies, yeah, yeah. of real-life historical women. So season two, we made a pledge. That we we did. Gonna... We made a blood pact. We bled all over each other. <laughs> and we announced... <laughs> no, we didn't. We, we actually didn't. We did. And we announced to the gods that we were going to bring them into this a little bit more. We said, dear all the gods of all the pantheons in the world... We solemnly vow with this blood that Where are you we, going with this made-up story? I don't know. I'm trying to... Look, I'm trying to thematically link us back into mythology because today we're telling a mythological story. We are. We are telling a mythological story. <sighs> that is what we're going to be doing. Your story about us making <laughs> blood packs and sacrificing effigies to the gods. I don't know, but it has brought us to this place. That was my point. We said season two, we're going to have more mythology. That was all I really wanted to yeah. say. So why more mythology? Why did we make this pact to the gods, Lauren, why did you make me cover myself in pig's blood and <laughs> dance naked under the full moon? I never said anything about pig's blood because, honestly, I was thinking of a different kind of blood. Like, if we're going to make a... <laughs> why did you make me cover myself in infant blood and dance <laughs> naked under the moon? Because, look, history is great. It sure is. All of these women really existed and they did amazing things and we can learn a lot from their lives. But it's really interesting to think into the broader kind of like spectrum of where ideas about the way that gender functions in the world comes from. And I think it's really interesting to think about the way that mythology and folklore kind of shape the cultural narratives that shape the way that we think about gender. Boom. Bam. Mind blown. Today, let's delve into that. Yeah, let's do that. For today's adventuring, we're going to go to... The icy tundra. Mm. I really don't think tundra is actually the word, but I'm just going to go with it anyway because it's a great tundra. I like tundras. Tundra. If I had a child, I'd call it tundra. Really? No. <laughs> I wouldn't. It just briefly occurred to me that maybe I like it that word. It could be a good lot. name. If I got another cat, maybe I'd call tundra. it tundra. Tundra is yeah. a good name for a cat. Mm. We are going to the icy north. And we're going to be looking at some Inuit mythology mm. this time around. And I really don't know anything about Inuit mythology. Well, you might have heard of Sedna before, perhaps, because I think Sedna is probably one of the most well-known Inuit figures okay. in mythology. Perhaps 
No, maybe you haven't. Don't know the name, but I might know the story. You might know the story. That's true. But, I mean, she does go by a few different names because, obviously, when we talk about Inuit people, we're talking about a variation of different traditions and localities, and it's a dispersed sort Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. group of Indigenous people. Yeah, it's not just one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it expands from Greenland to um, Alaska, Canada, and... A lot of those kind of very top icy regions most of the world. northernmost. Yeah. The Sedna story does reoccur in pretty much all of these regional yep. tales, even though there are different variations. Yeah. So please know that today the stories that we talk about are only uh, a snippet of yep. the versions of Sedna's tales that, that are out there. And she has a few different names as well, depending on the region that you're talking about. Most of those names I won't even try to pronounce okay because sedna i can say sure so maybe we can maybe we can put up some links to point people to some more information if they want yes precisely we will include some show notes yes yes sedna is sort of i think probably most famously thought of as a goddess of the sea oh right but the thing is is that i think goddess is probably not quite the right word to really use we use the word goddess we tend to throw that word around Mm. a lot but i think she's much more of sort of of a spiritual force rather than a particularly kind of a goddess in the way that we think about goddesses so not like in a greco-roman no no no. we'll throw that out the window that's pretty eurocentric yeah we can just turf that away yeah so we'll start with the story of a beautiful young woman of course because this is how a lot of these stories yeah. start. Yeah. That's a beautiful... Especially in folklore. Beauty is really woman. important in It's so important. Folklore. You never For start a reasons. story with there's an ugly young woman. No, she's only ever a crone if she's ugly. That's right. You can't be ugly yeah. and be young. You can no. only be a crone. Yeah, you can only be old and ugly. Mm. Or not even like there was a plain young woman. No. Plain there Janes was... don't get their time in folklore. No. There was an averagely attractive young woman. But she had... The intelligence of, uh, I wanted to say spider, and I don't know why. <laughs> Spiders are pretty smart. Yeah, that's where my brain went. She was as intelligent as a spider. She was. She had the wits of a spider. And, and a heart of gold. Yeah. And that's our plain Jane. You, yeah. don't, you never hear about plain yeah. Jane with the wits of a spider yeah. and the heart of gold. Or what about just a story where we don't even need to know what she looks like? Fuck it. What about a story that's like, there was a young woman. A woman. Or not even young. There was, maybe there was just a woman. There was a woman. And maybe she'd had various different life experiences that may make her young or may make her old. So she lived with her father. And in most versions of the story, there isn't a mother figure, which again... Oh, it's very, just what I was going to yeah. say. Let me guess. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a mother. Yep. The absent mother. Of course. Which is such a trope. But this is why I... Oh, sorry. Go. Forgive me. Go. But this is why I love archetypes. And, like, <laughs> Joseph Campbell and Jungian ideas of, the like, Imagine you know, collective, cultural. Yeah. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. Please continue. Yeah. So absent mother, pretty key trope that we find in a lot of folk tales, a lot of myth, a lot of fairy tales. In some versions, she does have a mother. But in this particular one, she lives with her father. And now she's refusing to get married, refusing all the suitors that come along, right? Of course. Because she's beautiful, everyone wants to marry her. And because she's beautiful, I imagine she has the power to... To choose, pick and choose. To, to turn yeah. away suitors. Yeah. Mm. And everybody wants to marry her solely based on her being beautiful. Like, why would you bother to have a conversation with the girl? 
You never know if she's as wily as a spider. That's right. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Who cares if she's as wily as a spider? As long as she's beautiful. That's all that matters. We could harp on about that all day. But we shan't. So she refuses all suitors and her father's actually kind of cool with this. So for the most part. In some versions he's cool with this. Of course. In this version of our story, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, we'll wait till the right guy comes along. Yeah. And so one day. He does. The right guy comes along yeah good job this handsome guy turns up see he's handsome he's handsome he's the handsome. right guys also ha- like like we do often put our judgments of beauty on young women but typically handsome prince that's a trope and yeah. that's a thing too yeah it's all so about looks it's not dad bod prince <laughs> so this guy turns up and he's got a dad bod yeah he's rocking but he's wily <laughs> He's rocking a dad bod and he's wily as a spider. (laughs) Fuck me if that's not what I look for in a guy. I mean, come on. Okay. All the boxes are ticked. So many. Extra boxes ticked. He's like, if you marry me and you come and live with me, I'll give you everything. All right? Oh, yeah. He's the ultimate provider. Yeah, yeah. He's he's Mm. like, you could have all the comfy warm furs that mm. you need and look in this particular story i'm going to be okay with fur because when you're an inuit and you live in the middle of the icy tundra yeah you know you, you do your... what you need to survive yes right so i'll give you all the furs beautiful things you know if you come and live with me you have meat to eat every day yep. you're gonna be so well provided for and she's like oh my god this guy is a provider yeah he's as wily as a spider <laughs> And he's got a dad bod. <laughs> this is the guy for me. Yes. So her father's like, yep, great. great. This isn't the match. So they are married and he takes her away. Now, can I just ask, because she's not goddess, but as you said, sort of spiritually kind of beyond human, I imagine. Well, so this is an ancestral kind of story. So she hasn't mm. become a spirit force as yet. Okay. So this that was still, my question. Yeah. yeah. So we're still sort of talking about a mortal woman okay. at the moment. And he's a mortal man. Well... Oh. Lauren, the reveal. Oh. So she goes Sorry. away skip with ahead. Yeah, don't skip ahead. So she goes away with him. I'm doing hand gestures. <laughs> yeah, that's a great hand gesture. Hand gestures of her going away. away. And goes to live with him in the land of birds. Oh. Because it turns out Dad Bod's a bird. He's a bird man. He's a bird man. Is he a bird, a man, or a bird he's man? A, he's a bird. He's oh. actually just a straight up bird. Oh. And he's been in the form of Dad Bod. Oh. But now that they return to the land of birds, he returns to bird form. Yeah, okay. And when she gets there, she has to live in a nest. That's not fun. All these furs. Oh, those. Oh, all the furs and all the meat. It's yeah, not what it's, she thought it was going to no, be. It's not forthcoming. And because he's a bird, he's a crappy hunter and all he can catch is fish. And she gets sick of eating fish. Yeah. And frankly, she's unhappy. She's very unhappy. I think he would be. So she's been lied to, right? It was a setup. Yeah. It was misleading. So she cries out and calls out for her father to come and save her. Mm-hmm. And he comes. He does. He comes along to save her and he sees how she's been living and he's like, right, you know, Birdman did lead you astray. <laughs> did lead yes. you astray. And so he kills Sedna's mm. husband. And they flee the island in a kayak. Yes. I was just like assumed they'd be flying. And then when you said <laughs> no, no, they, they flee killed the bird guy in a kayak, I yeah. was like, they have a flying kayak. <laughs> of course they don't. They fled across the seas. Yeah, they f- on their kayak. Yeah. 
That's yes. right. Yeah. Because it's been a long day. Yeah. Because the bird guy's dead now. He's dead. Right. So. Harvey um, Birdman, attorney of law, is dead. <laughs> Harvey Birdman, <laughs> attorney of law. Um, I'm guessing he wasn't an attorney of law. <laughs> he wasn't an then attorney. Then he might have been a little bit more of a catch. Yeah. Clark. <laughs> but all the birds back on Bird Island, they're furious. Mm. So they fly after Sedna and her father in the kayak and they start flapping their wings and attacking and they build up a storm. They create an enormous storm. Mm. So this storm, it starts rocking the boat. Hitchcockian and horror. It is Hitchcock. Yes. Oh, my God. It is so Hitchcockian. Yeah. It's the birds. Yeah. So the boat starts rocking in the waves and Sedna's father panics. And he's like, how are we going to get out of this? And so in a moment of pure dadly selfishness, Mm -hmm. he thinks what I'll do is I'll (gasps) throw Sedna into the ocean in order to appease the birds and then they'll... But he just went to all that effort of coming to rescue her. her. And then he turfs her out of the kayak. So he throws her out of the boat. Oh, no. But the birds don't stop. The birds are still incensed. The storm is still raging. And so she grabs hold of the edge of the kayak and she's holding onto the kayak for dear life because she's like, hey, Dad, you've just thrown me in the ocean. What was all that about? The storm is still raging and her father is freaking out because he thinks he's going to die. So he takes out his knife (gasps) and one one by one he cuts off Sedna's fingers. Oh, shit. Cuts her fingers off one by one. This, this Until, is a dark story. It is a dark story. Until, of course, she can no longer <laughs> hold oh, on. No. And she falls back into <gasps> the ocean and drowns, floats to the bottom of the ocean. Oh, she my God. She sinks beneath the waves. Oh, my God. I mean, this is obviously it's quite a horrific scene that we've just painted. That's really, really graphically violent. It is graphically violent. But out of this violence comes some good because each of her fingers turns in to an animal of the sea. Oh. So from her fingers come the whales oh. and the walruses and the seals and in some stories narwhals and fish and salmon as well. Oh. So from this act of destruction and violence, all of these creatures mm. arise mm-hmm. and are given mm-hmm. birth to. And because of what's happened, she then becomes this spiritual force and she becomes the ruler of the underworld. Wow. So the underworld in Inuit mythology is a place that lies not just under the ocean. It's not like an under the sea. It's not yeah. like it's not like an underworld where you turn up and Sebastian yeah, it's not, not that, that kind of under the sea underworld. No. It's under the land under the sea. It's still a underworld in the way that we think about it, you know, yeah. like a, a core thonic place in the yep. earth. Yep, yep, yep. And she becomes the ruler of this land. So this is one particular version of the story of how she comes to be the ruler of this underworld through this violent act of her father. And pretty much every version of the story gives us, again, this violent act of the father. Yeah, okay. But in some variations of the story, motivations differ. So in some versions of the story, she, in the beginning, defies her father. Her father wants her to marry someone else or she refuses to marry entirely and he, out of frustration, forces her to marry a dog. Oh. And in in a lot of the versions of the story, it's 
like the family dog. It's like oh, one no. of his dogs forces oh. her to marry a dog. And in these versions of the story, what happens is then her and her dog husband, they're sent to an island because what happens is she gives birth to a litter of to puppies, puppies. To a litter of puppies. And so in sort of punishment, I suppose, they're sent away. But in this version of... How can you be punished when you're the one that... Oh, I know, that's it. So in these versions of the story, though, what happens is the, again, it's still the father, though. It's yeah. still the father that comes through in this story because then the dog husband remains loyal, remains loyal oh. to Sedna and, and the pups, the puppy children. And he then transfers between sort of the mainland and the island, going back and forth, provisions and food. Right. And he swims across the ocean to gather all of these things to keep his family alive. But in this particular version of the story, uh, the father again intervenes and he weights down the bag that the dog is taking, the provisions bag, which is sometimes a boot, sometimes like a a skin bag. He weighs it down with rocks. So as the dog is swimming along, the dog drowns drowns and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. In this version of the story, Sedna then sets the pups out to to, to seek dad. to seek revenge on the oh. dad and in this version they gnaw off the father's hands and feet oh. so it kind of does the opposite it swaps around wow so rather, and that's what becomes the creatures of the sea well then what happens in that story is that the earth opens up and all of them together fall into the underworld uh-huh and in this version it then means that Sedna still becomes sort of the mistress of the underworld, but she's there with her father and she's there with her dog. Yeah. And the father becomes this kind of strange figure that sort of like a creeper, this strange okay. creeper figure in the underworld who sort of sits around and as the souls of the dead arrive, he kind of torments them by pinching them. Like oh. he just he pinches the souls of the so dead he's just people. A pest. He's just a pest. <laughs> yeah, he's just a pest that pinches people oh, in the underworld. How or annoying he, like, would that be, though? I know. Or he like scoops them up and hides them under his blanket. Like scoops. Up what? Souls. He's bizarre. That's <laughs> so that's just, he's just a tormentor. Yeah, and but that would be pretty hellish. Like imagine if that was hell. I like, know. Hell is just, just going pinched. to a place where someone pinches you constantly. Constantly. And it would just be so irritating. You're just trying to get on with your life and then just out of nowhere. <laughs> well, you'd be trying to get on with your death. Yeah. Really. But meanwhile, yeah. little crap fingers comes course. along and uh, pinch. 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 Pinch man <laughs> is pinching you endlessly. But then also in that version, the dog sort of lies across the threshold. And so I'm, it's a little bit like, what's his name? Old mate with the three heads. Cerberus? Yeah. Well, this is something I think is really interesting because dogs are so often associated with the underworld. Yeah. In so yeah. many different yeah. versions of mythology. Because they're kind of like, they are in a sense, those, they're guards. Yeah. But they're also loyal. And to, they're guides. Not yeah, just guards, yeah. but guides as well. Like in So I, they're doing both. They're two kind of polar roles. Yeah. And dogs... Uh, fulfilling both of those roles, I guess, in the same way that dogs kind of fulfill both roles in the sense of being loyal companions to men, but also like the loyalty of a dog is what guides you, but also the viciousness of a dog can be what guards you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And in Aztec mythology as well, it's a dog that leads you down to Mictland, which is the Aztec underworld. I also just find it really fascinating that so many different cultures have an underworld. Yes, and so often that underworld has such 
similar sorts of traits because this story brings up ideas around Persephone too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've actually, I've just started reading Madeline Miller's Circe, the new book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so I've been thinking a lot lately about like it's bringing back a lot of my old Greek (laughs) classic study that I haven't done for a long time. But But it's so interesting because there's, you know, there's Inanna as well Mm -hmm. and then there's Mm -hmm. Hell in Norse mythology. And Hell I think is the most interesting comparison to make because in like Persephone, for example, She's the consort of the ruler of the underworld. Yeah. And actually the same in Aztec mythology as well. There's Mick Tekasi Wattle. That was hard to say. Mick Tekasi Wattle, mm. who is like basically the goddess of the underworld, mm. but she's also the consort for the lord of and the so underworld. And so they're not owning that power of the underworld in their own right. Yeah, so they're Whereas not the ruler. Of in the this story... In this story, she's the ruler. She is the ruler. It's she her, is the queen of yeah, the underworld. It's her realm. Yeah. And it's her rule's that you live by Mm -hmm. and this actually is this is interesting because this plays into how she actually plays out in ritual as well yeah and tradition because what happens here as well is that so she becomes the rule of the underworld but she's also a mistress of the animals of the sea as well because all these creatures have sprung from her body she also rules and controls them Mm -hmm. so she's also the person that you need to please in order for hunting to be sustained yep uh, in order for you to be able to make the most of the bounty of the sea Mm. without her sort of good graces you're screwed basically right so this also means that she's super important in order not to offend her and i guess we think about sin as a particularly Christian or Catholic sort of concept Mm. and it is when we use the word sin but there's also in a lot of other societies I think the word we can use is taboo yeah sure so there's plenty Mm -hmm. of taboos and it's the same kind of concept you know yep the rules that should not be broken yep transgressions that should not be made yep so her role as well is that because she's she's this figure who you need to appease transgressions offend her and transgressions build upon her mm. and in which case she will withhold the bounty of the sea. I keep saying yeah, the bounty sure. of the sea, which sounds so piratical. Like, yeah. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> like, like a fisherman type, that bounty of the sea. Or like so, what you'd buy from your local fish shop if yeah. you want a little bit of everything. Or if you live in South Australia and you your local barnacle <laughs> I wanted to say barnacle bills and I was like, I'll just say fish shop. <laughs> <laughs> barnacle bills is a very specific the bounty of the sea. The bounty of anyway. Yeah. Every time I said bounty of the sea, I was was thinking of barnacle bills. <laughs> so in Inuit life, you also have anger cooks, and I'm sorry if I know I'm saying that in, totally incorrectly because I can't say words in a nook to toot. But this anger cook is kind of like. A spiritual medium, I suppose. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want to say the word shaman because I think shaman is a word that's attached to very different cultures. Yeah. But it's a similar sort of okay. role, like a medicinal spiritual healer. Yep. So yep, sure. their role also is to, I suppose, mediate with Sedna mm. to try to appease her. So to, do they kind of come to her on your behalf? Do they? Yes. They, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to do that the intercessionary, yes, of exactly, things. and yeah. to do that through a trance as well. So it's my favorite form of intercession. <laughs> that's not what other kind of intercession is there. It's got to be through a trance. Mm. Although maybe that's how people should do interventions. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're just gonna have an intervention. We're gonna have a trance-like intervention. 
So this person is normally a man, but could also be a role that's played by a woman as well sometimes. But what they'll do, so they'll go into this trance and then it's their role to journey through the sea down to the underworld Mm. in order to plead with Sedna. Mm. To do this, their journey consists of quite a few tasks. It's yeah. not easy to get Look, to the underworld. I can't imagine that it is. Why would it just be that easy? And you, I imagine that you've also got to be worthy of getting down there. Yeah, like, that's right. You can't make it too easy. You have to prove yourself. You can't yeah. just get you to the underworld. a series of Herculean tasks. Correct. That's right. So Adlevin is the name of the underworld. I don't know if I mentioned that before you or didn't. not. No, I didn't. And one of my favorite descriptions of where Sedna lives in Adlevin in the underworld is that she lives in a house made of stone and whale bones, which is quite a nice image, Mm. I think. So in order to get there, the anger cook would have to go down to Adlevin and pass sharks, walk a path as narrow as a knife's edge, Mm. which is quite the task. It's very narrow. Yes. Cross an abyss. Then this one's also a good one. They would have to cross over a slippery, ever-turning wheel. Oh. Which I really like, but it also conjures up, like, all those shows like Ninja Warriors. And, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are those other shows where you have to, you know, the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they, what are they called? There's Takeshi's Castle. Takeshi's Castle. Yes. It conjures up images of Takeshi's ca- yes, castle in my mind. Yes, so, totally. Like, having to go across an ever-turning slippery wheel. Yeah. No one makes that. No. Everyone always falls off of that. Yep. But if. Wipeout was that one? Yeah, Wipeout. Yeah. All of these ones. Yeah. Yeah. So it's similar to that, but not. On a much grander scale, I imagine, because we're in the underworld. Yeah, that's right. And there's also fierce dogs and seals in order to get yourself down to Sedna. The dogs of the sea. After having reached Sedna and having reached Adlevin, Angkuk would then have to either sort of plead with her or sometimes actually like physically fight with her and restrain her in order to right. um, get her to agree to help. Or sing to her. Okay. But also they would comb her hair for her. Oh. Because she has no, no fingers. Oh, of course. She has no fingers and she can't comb oh, her own hair. I forgot about that. So this is another part of her mythology is that she has this long hair. Yeah. And it gets tangled and tangled <gasps> and tangled. And also this idea of taboo again, that the filth of taboo tangles in her hair. <gasps> And the more more and more it builds up, the more and more it tangles in her hair. And so is that other people's taboo? Yes, like, exactly. Oh. Other people's taboo that builds up and compounds all their transgressions. And they've got to go down and comb it out. And so they have to go down and comb it out because like she can't that. comb her own hair. I know it's actually a really beautiful image. That is, isn't I it? like that. Yeah. And so they comb all of the filth and all of the world's problems i suppose they comb mm. that out of her hair and that soothes her and placates her and makes her happy again yeah and then when that's done she's happy to then release the animals back yeah for life to then continue and for yep. you know the catch and the hunt to be bountiful or she might also help in releasing a soul back to the earthly plane this sort of thing and i think that's really interesting because the idea there that she's it's a really violent act that sent her down to the underworld and it's a really nurturing mm. caring act that the, actually the, mediates with her yeah yeah, and yeah allows her to then help mankind again yes and also in these sorts of rituals when the anger cook would come out of the trance then everyone would have to then confess their transgressions as well 
So this ah. would be part of the ritual would then be like confessing everything that you've transgressed, all the taboos that you've broken. Yeah. Um, because this is what's all being brushed it's out of getting her coming hair. out of her hair. Yeah. That's such a great image. But at the same time, talking about that sort of that violent act that sends her down there in the first place. In a lot of stories, it's actually her. She's also kind of a rebellious figure as well, and it's her defiance, mm. her defiance in that choosing of the suitor and her defiance in who she will and will not marry that actually sets this whole thing. Yeah, because ultimately she ends up with a lot of power. Yeah. Like she's got all the power. She does. Actually, in one story, in one variant of the story where her mother is alive, mm. the whole reason she gets thrown into the sea is because she's so hungry she tries to eat her parents. Whoa. And then her father takes her out in a kayak and throws her into the ocean. Well, that's pretty taboo. Yeah. I mean, cannibalism cannibalism is a pretty big taboo. Typically quite taboo. But you could also imagine that cannibalism in a place where life is harsh and the environment is harsh and there's not always food for the going around. Yeah, and if she's the... Cannibalism queen. is actually not that. Like if un- she's the ruler of this underworld space and the and the ruler of the sea creatures, that they're they're all the creatures that come when from her. she from her. So presumably that means they're not there when she's a mortal woman. Yeah, that there are fish and there are land animals. Okay, so there are caribou and wolves and yeah. foxes and all those sorts of things that are hunted, but she's responsible for generating the animals from the sea she's responsible for generating that wealth of food source yeah 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 which is a wealth compared to and this is obviously in this particular context but if you're thinking about like seals and whales and everything and that is a a wealth in so much there's so much more than just food sources you know they're energy sources oh yeah and they're warmth and they're you know, like they're used, their animals are used for so many more purposes than for just food. Yeah. But I think also as well. It's a truly a bounty. Also what's interesting about that too is the fact that they come from her as well. Her as a spiritual force is that everything has a spiritual force, mm-hmm. including those animals. And everything has this force within them. And, well, that sounded very Star Wars. But it also means that when you kill something, yeah. you're aware of the fact that, You've taken a spiritual force. Mm -hmm. And typically what would be done, and I mean, I'm saying typically because I'm going by a lot of the academic papers that I've read and a lot of the books that I've read, I've had zero interaction Mm. with an Inuit community. Like Mm. that's clearly I'm so far away from having any expertise in that. But this suggestion that often the spear or the harpoon that was used to kill the animal would have to be set out overnight by a warm lamp source so that the spirit, the soul of that animal, will have transferred into the weapon and you leave it out overnight in order to give the soul of that animal time to leave the weapon. And also this idea that, like with a seal, once you've killed it, you would also wash out its mouth with fresh water so it wouldn't be thirsty, like to give it a drink, a last drink. And so there's all these sorts of yeah. ideas about how, and I mean, I'm not trying to be like all idealistic and like, oh, it's nature, blah, blah, blah. But all of these ideas about actually reaffirming and understanding that it's a reciprocal. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you know, you live in this environment and it's a give and take mm-hmm. rather than this world that we live in where it's just like constantly take, 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 take. Yeah. And yeah. it's an idea, an ideology that's really grounded in this concept of spiritual forces are in everything. Yeah. Therefore, it is constantly a give and take. Yeah. 
and that is how you offend Sedna. But I'm also interested in this whole idea of creation as well, because like you said, that all these creatures came from her when in that, you know, that main version of the story that you told with her fingers being cut off and them all turning into the different creatures. That is a creation kind of a myth. And it's interesting to me that this creation myth, which is when I think about it, it seems kind of ironic that creation myths are so often not associated with women being that human women are the ones usually burdened with the bringing forth of life in the real mortal world. Do you know what I mean? There are a lot of women involved in creation myths, though. Well, in the European there are a lot of Judeo-Christian I, version, though, there's not. There are a lot of deities that are... Yeah, that's true. In Judeo-Christian yeah, mythologies. Yeah, that's what... Not. I should have prefaced that in, in the Judeo-Christian yeah. tradition. It's not. But there are a lot of deities female deities that come up as creator destroyers. Yes. Like created. Yes. And this is a thing. This is a thing that's embodied in Sedna. Again, it's a creator destroyer. So it's that female archetype that we're very, very used to. And actually, I think even in the Judeo-Christian way of thinking about that, there's still the Eve. There's yes. still And there's still the Lilith. There's the Lilith. Even Lilith, yeah. I was going to say Lilith yeah. is the closest to the destroyer. Yes. But... Eve is a destroyer as well because it's all Eve's fault that everybody gets kicked out of paradise. Yeah. So she fucks that up for everyone. So she still destroys that. But she didn't create the world. She didn't create the creatures on it. And even like the Demeter-Persephone double, you know, creator and destroyer and the Demeter-Persephone. Yes, Demeter brings about fertility and spring and everything, but she's not creating the creatures of the world. It's not a create. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the difference, I think, between fertility and creation. Mm. I think women get lumped with fertility. Women are the, yes, the Demeters and the Eves, but they're not the creators of space and creators of being and create you know those really grand cosmic plans they're not the creators of that they're just the people who watch over for you know the more of the fertility aspects of it yeah and look i'm saying that without having thought terribly hard about it okay yeah because my mind (laughs) my mind is running to all of the female world builders yeah world builders is what i'm thinking of but there's there's your guys yeah. Your... Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right then. I'll give you that. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, and look, I'm not saying that it's all of them or none of them. It's just more common, I think. I think it's 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 less common to have that much creative power attributed to a female kind of deity-ish figure. That is what fertility is. That is what. No, I agree. I agree, and that that's is why what I find feminine it... symbolism. And all that's about. what I find really interesting about the fact that it doesn't happen more commonly. That it's only the small-scale creation that's attributed to women, because it is fertility. Like it is the creation of being in whatever scale it is is still that creation which is so tied up with, you know, how women have typically been kind of viewed in in mythology or or, or actually really more in real life. It's limited to the biological function of procreation. So it's interesting that when we're talking about the grand architectural scale of the universe and the world and everything, that it's not more often attributed to women. And that... What Sedna actually creates in this particular story as well is that she doesn't create through 
fertility. She's not no. creating. She's not giving birth. I mean, she gives birth to puppies in in, in that particular version. Yeah. version. But in order to create the actual creatures of the sea, that's not because of a fecund bodily maternity. Yeah. That's because of a violent and horrific act rather than that's the severing of the body. But then again, I also think of like the moon goddess in Aztec mythology who is a moon goddess solely because she gets chopped up into a thousand pieces and thrown up into the sky. So yeah. there's more so dismemberment. Yeah. <laughs> dismemberment. And also, yeah, 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 definitely. And like male violence as being a form of creation. Yeah, yeah. More often than female fertility it's male violence i think we're, we're getting ourselves into a deep dark hole of mythology and look i'm we're talking in extremely broad sweeping brushes <laughs> here because of course there are hundreds and hundreds of versions of these stories and i'm just these is just the things that are popping into my head <laughs> in this exact moment and I'm sure that as soon as we stop recording, I'll be like, that was a dumb thing to say. Here's a million things that I can think of right now. Here's a million examples that I can think of. But also I'm really interested in this whole figure of the underworld queen, like, because that's another thing that's unusual as well. So firstly, she, through a non-biological act, creates, that's unusual in mythology, even though it is man's violence that causes this to happen. However, secondly, queen of the underworld, we don't often have queens of the underworld. We often, as we said, they usually the con- consort. Consorts. Yeah. The only other one that I can think of, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty. And, and also let us know on Twitter, get in contact, tell us other ones that you can think of. But the other one that springs to mind is Hell, the Norse. Well, she's not really a, is she a goddess? She's sort of a goddess. Well, she's a demigod maybe. Demi- yeah. But Hell as the ruler of, well, Hell. Hell. So she's the other one that I think Not of. to be confused with the Judeo-Christian hell. No. No, not even Judeo-Christian. It's just, just, just Christian. Christian hell. Well, they, Christian kind of, hell. they kind of stole that from Norse mythology anyway. Oh. But hey. Um, <laughs> just on the, they did just, what? Just on the down line. You, you mean they H- stole a thing? The, the word hell has <laughs> has a... Has a pagan S. striking resemblance to the word hell. Oh, my gosh. What? outrageous no way outrageous no way but she's the other key one that i can think mm. of that actually is the ruler of the whole domain this is a sumerian goddess of the underworld i'm pretty sure yes as well yes 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 so there are particular they do exist they, they do exist there are women who rule the underworld on their own yeah but quite often we do see them as ruling side by side a lord and lady of the underworld yeah the king and queen. Mm. But yes, all fodder yeah. for future delvings. Mm. But I think that Sedna, if we think about Sedna in terms of, I suppose, deviancy, then like we touched on, there's that idea of it's her rebellion in the first place, her stubbornness about who she is and isn't going to marry. Yeah. Like, that sort of sets all the wheels mm-hmm. in motion in the first place. Yeah. So it's her rebellion against... Yeah patriarchal rule yeah which gets her for once rewarded instead of punished yeah well she gets punished well punished she she, okay she loses all her fingers which is a horrific punishment she gets punished but then she gets autonomy in the end autonomy really let's let's be honest as a woman in a lot of contexts autonomy is a great prize yeah to walk away with autonomy is basically it's the the biggest it's the biggest boon you can get yeah thanks i'll take that yep and that's what she gets. Yeah. And she gets her own her own house 
Under the sea, made of whale bones. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's a a happy place. Yeah, 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 yeah. To bring us to an end. Yeah, yeah, good. Very good. So that was a brief one today. That was a a short episode. Yeah. That's all right, short, sharp and shiny. I think mythology is a little bit more like that, isn't it? Because it's sort of like... It's not a whole biography of a life. It's just here is here's a story and here are some interesting yeah. things to think about in this story and maybe we'll just let you guys keep pondering it away. But that's what I like about mythology and that's why, I mean, yes, it's just, as you said, you know, there's a story and we tell you this story and there it is. It's very different to walking through someone's biography. Mm. But I love coming back to mythology because I think – and as we've done in this whole episode, what it does is it keeps bringing us back to archetypes of femininity. Yes. It keeps bringing us back to ideas about what women should and shouldn't be. Because it's all about social gendering. It is. These are the rules. This is what happens to you if you don't follow the rules and here are the people to model yourselves on or not model yourselves on because it's fucked up. Yeah, here are the stories that are warnings about what you shouldn't do because you don't want to end up like this woman. And that's why it's really interesting to me. There's so many overlaps and so many similarities. And and we've talked before about the – like this is mythology and there's a whole – bunch of stuff that you can read about archetypes i mean i find the collective unconscious really interesting not as a literal thing but just in the way that these archetypes keep arising and the way that humans obviously there's something in us as humans that wants to tell these stories in these particular ways and that wants to create these particular kinds of characters and these particular kinds Mm. of stories and that fascinates me but it's also kind of despairing that so often (laughs) these shared human stories are about the subjugation of women and so it's nice to hear stories that have archetypal resonances and yet there are these elements like we said she ultimately wins the prize of autonomy despite this horrific violence that is enacted upon her. She becomes the queen of the underworld and people have to come to her and worship her and appease her for their survival. And, and that's... And brush her and hair. And brush her hair. Brush her hair. And that's nice. It's so beautiful. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Lauren, for that neat little summary. <laughs> <laughs> nodding and smiling because i'm like yeah 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 Yeah. all of that all of that yeah so thank you for joining us once again it's been our pleasure it's very animated it's been a pleasure i don't know where it came from such a pleasure such a pleasure thank you Um, for joining us once again and Mm. if you like the podcast then there's a bunch of ways you can support us if you don't like the podcast then bye you can follow us on twitter we are at deviant women same on uh, on the instagrams we are newly on instagram uh, yeah yeah many pictures or you can follow like us on facebook or you can listen to us on itunes stitcher tune in soundcloud you can subscribe on those and hey leave us a review and of course if you really truly truly want to support us you can become a patron of ours for as little as two dollars a month that'll get you some exclusive content where we're brewing some more ideas as soon as Alicia's pesky phd is out of the way we're going to have a lot more exclusive patreon only content yeah brewing is a good word for it or you can jump on etsy if you want a t-shirt or an enamel pin and as always a very big thank you to india hui for our music and to brendan davies for the sound our long-suffering sound guy brendan He loves doing that job.
<laughs> and we will be back with you in another fortnight. That's two weeks' time. Until then, live long and prosper. See you later. <laughs>